Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Working our way through the book of Exodus over these weeks. And this morning we are looking at the section that goes from chapter 4, verse 21 through to chapter 6, verse 12. And we're not going to read the entire thing, but we're going to make comments as to the various principles that are contained in this whole scripture. And this section raises several key issues that not only related to the coming freedom of Israel from under the slavery of Egypt, but it also relates very strongly to where we are today in our spiritual journey from earth to heaven. We're all on a journey. It began with our birth and it will end with either our death or the rapture of the church. And we are looking for that very much. Now, here are some of the key issues that we want to take a closer look at today. The first is that God is still at work, even when we do not see it. Israel believed and they worshipped when they heard the truth. Thirdly, that there will be opposition. And fourthly, how do we then react when the opposition comes? So those are the things that we're going to look at today. So when we get to the fourth one, you know we're getting close to the end. Okay? So you can gauge it that way. But God is still at work, even when we do not see it. Now, Moses was facing a huge task, something that was different than anything he had ever done before. I have on my office wall a blackboard, and one of the things I have written on the blackboard says, as blessed sons and daughters of God, we should attempt something so great that failure is inevitable unless God steps in. That's a reminder for us to know that God stepping in is going to be important. Now, see, God was working behind the scenes, but Moses didn't know it yet. And he was getting everything ready. All Moses had to do was to step into the role that God had been preparing him for all of his life. And he told Moses in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, See that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. See, the tools that were already there for Moses to use, and the tools are already there for you and me to use today. Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God got things ready for us to do, and then he, by his Spirit, enables us to do the things he's asked us to do. See, this God spoke to Moses even before he returned to Egypt. He had not gone back to Egypt yet, and God said to him, I'm getting things ready for you, and this is what's going to happen. He gave him the tools he would need to fulfill his task. And this theme, again, has continued into the New Testament as, as well. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, everything that we need to live this life that Christ has has already been supplied for us to use. Everything we need, God has given to us to live the victorious Christian life. We just need to use what he's given us. 
You see, it's not our ability. It's not our initiative. It's God who supplies, and all that we have to do is step into what he has already prepared for us to do. And you say, well, it can't be that easy. Folks, we make it harder than it ought to be. How many have a talent for complicating things? How many aren't going to admit it? See, we don't create the work or the opportunities. We merely step into what God has already begun and use what he has given us. Years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God. And it says we don't have to create, create the opportunities. We just have to see what God is doing and then join ourselves to it. Now, one of the shows that I like to watch on television, I like to watch the cooking shows. I love, I love to cook. I love to eat. But I love to cook. And I like to see how they create all the different dishes. But have you ever noticed that all of the ingredients have already been prepared in little bowls for them to just throw into the pot? He says, well, then you have this, and then you have this, and then you have this. And what we don't see is all the people that have got the stuff ready behind the scenes. And then all that the host does is take it and throw it into the part. It's already been pre-measured. It's already in the exact amounts that they're going to need to make this recipe come out. You see, we don't always see what God is doing behind the scenes. But he is working all things for our good. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, My father has been working till now, and I have been working. Folks, before you even got out of bed this morning, God was working on your life. Before you ever step, put your foot on the floor, God was putting things in place for your life for today. Jesus assured his disciples, my, my father's been working up till now and I've been working. We've been in this together. And aren't you glad that what we have today is a relationship with Jesus Christ? Earlier this week, we said farewell to a friend of ours from the church as, as Peter passed away and he had his funeral and one of his favorite passages was from Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And who do you say I am? See, that's the difference between reputation and relationship. And because he says, Peter, you understand the relationship, he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And our friend Peter, he really liked that because his name was in there. And see, that's what relationship is all about. God's working in your life. Jesus is working in your life. Why? For our good. Romans says, all things are working together for good to those who love God, and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And one of the provisions for Moses, along with the signs and wonders that God gave him to perform, was the provision of Aaron, his brother, to speak for him. This also leads us into a powerful principle of, of two being stronger than one. Two together. Remember this. God is working in your life even if you don't see it 
or recognize it. The second point that we'll look at today is that Israel believed and worshipped when they received the truth. We're going to skip forward to verses 27 to 31 and, and see that, that what that God sends Aaron into the wilderness to meet Moses and together they go to meet the elders of the Israelite tribes in Egypt to share with them the message that God had given them. Now you can read this later in the afternoon. But verse 30 tells that then he did the signs in the sight of the people. What, what's that mean? Moses. Moses showed the elders all the things that God had given him that he was going to do later on in front of Pharaoh. Now that must have been one great show and tell that day. Tim was talking about going back to school. Oh, those were the days. For most of us, it was current events. It's now become ancient history. But that day, Moses was schooling the elders on the power of God for them. Hmm. Usually when there's a big movie coming out, they have an advanced screening or a sneak preview that certain people are allowed to share before it's released to the public. Well, here we see the elders of the tribes of Israel seeing firsthand the wonders that God had given Moses to use in securing their freedom from their bondage. They had an, an advanced screening. And their response? Well, first, they believed. What they saw let confidence rise up in their hearts. And they believed. They said, yes, God is here. God is in this. See, Moses had gained their trust that he had in fact been visited by God. They could see the signs and the wonders with their own eyes and it caused them to believe. But what did they believe? They believed that God had seen their affliction and was about to answer their prayers and bring deliverance to them. Verse 31 says, And when they had they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. What's your response when you see God at work? What is the response of your heart when you have an answer to prayer? When, when you know that God has reached down and, and touched your life in a powerful way. Now, why is it that we seem to be surprised when God answers prayer? And why is it so often when the answer comes, we just sort of take it and go about our daily act? Lives, and we, we never stop to say thank you to the one who is able to work all things for our good. See, this show of God's intended blessing caused the elders of the people to bow their heads, to humble themselves, and then to worship. The other week, I and many of you as well watched the funeral of one of America's great statesmen of the truth, of the Word of God, when Reverend Dr. Billy Graham's funeral was seen on TV. 
And as the different speakers spoke, as they echoed the, the message that he so faithfully had proclaimed for so many years, my heart response was I was incredibly humbled as I watched. I felt a sense of loss as America has lost a great force for good. But I was humbled in my heart. And it caused me to look to God and worship. I don't know if it did that for you, but I know it did for me. And when the elders of the tribes of Israel saw that God was in the house, what God was doing and he was about to do, they were humbled and they bowed their head as a sign of humility and they worshipped God. Someone once says, praise leads us into the presence of God and Worship is what takes place once we are there. There's a solemn holiness in the presence of God. There's a deep interpersonal relationship that enfolds us when we know that we are in the presence of our holy, gracious, loving Father. During the worship time this morning, I was observing as people's response to the songs some would raise a hand, some would close an eye, some were looking heavenward, some were realizing the connection we have with our Father. And I fear too often we rush through those moments when God would hold us close to his heart and whisper with a still small voice, and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. Maybe this is one of those moments right now. Is God speaking to you? Are you listening? Well, the next step we see in this portion of Scripture is what they, that they needed to take this request to Pharaoh. That Israel might set themselves apart to worship God. And this is our third point. There will be opposition. And folks, whenever you set your heart to honor God, whenever you set your heart to do the will of God, there will be opposition. The very laws of physics says that whenever you push against even the air, there will be friction that will cause heat and will cause pain. Every action demands that there will be some type of opposition. And Pharaoh's response was very worldly. And he says, he doesn't know God, so why should he honor him? See, here's a principle. And the principle is, we cannot expect the world to respect or live by the commands of the Bible because they are serving a different master and are bound to obey him. Why did they want the prayer taken out of schools? Why did they want the Ten Commandments taken out? Because they have no reason to, to agree to them. You see, it's only 
once we have the relationship with Jesus Christ and relationship with the Father, that the rules of the Bible begin to apply to our hearts as our authority. Now, they will be judged by their rejection of it, yes. But we live by the commands and by the edicts of the Scriptures. They become our rule of life and order. And why do sinners in the world not live by this? Because they're serving a different master with a different set of rules. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Hmm. So who are you serving? That's a good question. Who are you serving? There are so many Christians, so many Christians that have such a difficult time living in victory because they've not made a clear distinction as to who they're serving. They have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and they wonder why they're not happy in either one. See, Pharaoh was clear. His decision had already been made. His heart had already decided, and God knew this. He had said already, God had said in, in chapter 4, verse 21, says, I will harden his heart. And the word harden in the Hebrew is the word shazak, which means to strengthen. And what does that mean? That means that Pharaoh had made his decision in his heart as to what he would do, and God gave him the ability to carry that out. Some people think that God arbitrarily hardens people's hearts. No. Pharaoh had already made his choice. And God gave him the strength to carry out the decision for the glory of God. And his response, he says, let our people go. He started screaming at them, says, you're lazy, you're lazy. Give you more work. And he lashed out further against the people. And that's what people do when they fight against God. They lash out. They get mad, they get angry, they throw things. He increased their labor, made it harder to do, and made them find their own straw for, to, to make bricks, and he beat the leaders when the people did not produce. <coughs> that's not the sign of a leader, that's the sign of a coward. But when God leads you to obey his voice and do the works that he's, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> when God leads you to obey his voice and to do the works that he's already prepared for you to do, don't be surprised at this opposition. And Jesus plainly told his disciples, in this world you'll have trouble. And he also told them if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. So. How then do we respond to all of this when the opposition comes? Well, that's an interesting thing. Because as you go through these chapters of Scripture, the people in their anger, they forgot their position of worship and trusting God and lashed out at Moses and Aaron.
unless you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you'll start to look around at people. And you'll start to look around at circumstance. And you'll start to look around at the problems. Even as Peter, when he was told by Jesus to walk on the water, as long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was fine. But as soon as he started to look at the waves and the wind and everything that was contrary, he started to sink. And what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. The writer to Hebrews recognized that keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is so important. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnared us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set down at the right hand of the Father. Who are you looking at? I'll tell you right now, folks, if you look at any person, you'll be disappointed. If you look at any leadership team, there will be things that will disappoint you. You know why? Everybody has an opinion of how things should be done. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, he's the author, he's the finisher. When the Israelites took their eyes off God and they started to look at the circumstance and the opposition and the frustrations and the trials and the anguish that they had, they just started lashing out. They started biting at one another and fighting against one another. And that's what we do as humans. Isn't it an amazing thing that counseling situations over the years A husband has had to put up with difficulties and abuse at work, and then he comes home and takes it out on his wife and his children. Then as counselors, we pick up the pieces. And how often do we lash out at the very ones we are to love the most instead of the ones causing the problem? You see, they, they blamed Moses and Aaron for the hardship. In chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says... And then in chapter 6, verse 9, he says, They did not heed Moses. Why? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They were so wrapped up in their own despair and their own anger and their own grief. They lost sight of the fact that Moses had come to set them free. And folks, I tell you, sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's going on in this world that we forget that we had a Savior that come to save us from our sins, to take us to heaven, and one day we'll be with him forever. We forget that. We start to lash out at each other. But the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts moved when they were in unity in one accord. That's the thing. And I tell people, unity isn't something that you pray for. Unity is something you do. You choose to get along. You choose to be together. You choose to let the other be advanced. 
So I, I, w- I want you to hear this one sentence. And I say it. I say it to me as much as I say it to you. Because all of us, in some manner or other, are facing a few health concerns as we get older. How many would say, yeah? Yeah, been there, done that? Went to the, I got got my own private chair at the doctor's? Yeah, all that. Let us not forget in the dark what God has revealed to us in the light. Let's not let the darkness so cloud our vision of what God has promised in the light. My heart's been a little turmoil this last little while. We've been facing a few things. I don't know about you, but there's often times when God will bring the, the words of a song to let me know he's there. And this morning, even, the words of the, just the one line came, and I heard the rest of the song, but only one line I remembered was, everything's going to be all right. It's like God the Father putting his hand on your shoulder and saying, hey, Don't worry, I got this. I got this. You don't worry about it. I got this. Like the parable of the soil, let us be the ones who shoot our roots deep into the soil of the richness of God's grace and let the harvest be abundant. Opposition can do one of two things. It can either drive you away from God or cause you to hold tighter to his hand. Let's choose the second. The second. You can invite the team to come back up. And as they do, I I want to end with this thought that just really gripped my heart. It was part of our reading this morning in In chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, God says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And then he reminds Moses in chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. God was saying through Moses, these are my children. You let them go. Take your hands off them. And when Jesus hung on the cross, his arms outstretched, and he cried out, it is finished. He was, in fact, telling the world and the powers of darkness, these are my children. Take your hands off of them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The price has been paid for their freedom and salvation. They are no longer slaves to sin. They're children of the King. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.